open it to Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and uh, we're going to, if you're able, uh, please stand with us uh, to read it. I'll read and you can follow along. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 11. It's on page 948 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Remember as we read, we're reading God's word. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's God's word. You may be seated. Isn't that exactly what you just heard? Fervent in spirit, that's just a great picture of that. Uh, Listen, we're going to dive into this passage in just a moment, but before we do, I want to take just a a few minutes, and I want to give you um, a pretty cool announcement, and then I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer and then we'll dive into our sermon. And so here's the announcement. This is, this is kind of a neat thing. Uh, our church, uh, redemption-wide, our, our church's kind of vision is to birth and strengthen healthy local congregations. That's why Redemption Church as a whole exists, is we want to help start new healthy churches, and we want to infuse health into other churches that, that could use it. And that's not just redemption congregations. We want to be an influence to the church as a whole Uh, particularly here in Arizona. And so uh, that's one of the reasons we do that, or because of that, one of the things we do is we do a lot of investment in training young leaders and in training future pastors. I help oversee the uh, pastoral residency program that we do with Redemption Church. We'll have about 10 guys this year from all the various congregations go through that program where they're uh, being trained specifically with an eye toward future ministry. And uh, one of the guys that went through that this past year is a guy named John Benzinger. And a lot of you know John. He's preached here before. Um, he was uh, part of our Redemption Young Adults uh, staff and uh, was a pastoral resident. And uh, have a pretty cool announcement related to John. About eight weeks ago, I was contacted by uh, some elders from Desert View Baptist Church. That's on Greenfield and Guadalupe. And they, had, uh, they were going through a pretty difficult and painful pastoral uh, lead pastor transition kind of thing. Their, their pastor had resigned, and uh, so they were asking for some counsel and some advice and things like that. And then along the way, they also said, hey, we know Redemption invests in young leaders. Do you have anybody that you think could serve as an interim senior pastor for us while we look for, for a future pastor? I said, yeah, I think you, I've got a guy that would be perfect for that. He's a great teacher of the scripture. He's going to love people. Uh, he's going to be a great help. And that was John Benzinger. And so they spent some time with him, interviewed him. He's preached there the last few weeks. And uh, their congregation decided this past Sunday uh, that John is going to be their interim senior pastor. So for the next, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. For the next for the next eight months or so, uh, John will be in that role in addition to teaching school, which he's going to continue to do. And then uh, we'll see what happens kind of from there. He'll be here in about a month, and we can hear from him about how it's going, and we can pray for him. Uh, but for now, just be encouraged. Um, I, I went to actually one of the meetings, uh, one of the Q&A things where people from that congregation were able to ask John questions. And I could tell uh, that a lot of John's experience here has, has shaped him in some really positive ways. And you all have been part of that. So thank you for that. And please be, uh, please be praying for him. All right. So that was the announcement. Uh, I want to spend some time in prayer. When I, when I grew up, I went to a Presbyterian church and they would have this pastoral prayer that when I was a kid felt like it lasted 20 minutes. Um, where the pastor would just kind of pray for all kinds of stuff. And we don't typically do that, but I, this week especially, just really sensed that we needed to do that. And I'm not going to go for 20 minutes. Um, but there's some stuff in our world that I think we need to devote some time to, to pray for. Um, there's always pain in the world. Uh, open a newspaper if you can find one. Open it online. Uh, 
read a Twitter or a Facebook feed, there's pain all over the world. And just lately, in these last few weeks, it, I don't know, it just seems more heightened or more intense, or I just, maybe it's just me, I just care about it more, I don't know. Um, but when I think about what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri, and around our country as it relates to difficult, tense race relations, um, there's a lot of pain there. When I think about what's going on in Iraq, and ISIS, and the persecution of Christians, and beheading of journalists, there's a, there's a lot of pain there. And when I think about what's going on in Gaza, and Israel, between the Palestinians, and Israel, and Hamas, and all that stuff, there's a lot there. And, and none of us are smart enough to figure it out. Uh, none of us know the whole story. And so what we ought to do is, is take some time to, to just pray. And I want to I challenge you also as, as we pray. One thing that I've been particularly um, kind of convicted about this week is, um, as a white man, I see the world a certain way. And there are a lot of people that see it differently than me. And my temptation is to just sort of find people that will help me see the, way, see the world the way I already see it. And uh, particularly what's going on with the, the issue in Ferguson, Missouri, and, and the tensions between races and police and authority and those things, um, it, it's very tempting for me as a, as a white man to just sort of assume that my experience is what everyone else's experience is. And this, this situation has given me an opportunity to go, you know what, I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn. Rather than just look for people that are going to confirm my suspicions or confirm my assumptions, I'm going to listen especially um, to the, the, my minority brothers and sisters who have a very different experience and whose voices need to be heard. And so I just would invite you and challenge you to do that. And especially if that rubs you wrong, you go, oh, I, you know, you especially need it. <laughs> that's, that's evidence right there that you really need to listen to someone else's perspective. It may not change your mind, but at least have the humility to do that. So uh, let, let's, let's take a, a moment and just, just pray for all that stuff, all right? Let me pray. Father in heaven, all of these things are complicated and confusing to us. Uh, Lord, uh, as I think about what's going on in Missouri and in Iraq and in Israel and in Gaza, I, I have one perspective and it's limited and it's informed by what I see and hear. And God, I'm so thankful that your view isn't limited. I'm so thankful that you see the whole picture, that you're not biased, that you're not... Uh, ignorant about certain things that happen, that your ability to know and discern what's best doesn't come from the media, but it comes because you are an all-knowing and all-powerful and all-wise God. And so God, because of that, I pray to you that as Jesus taught us to pray, that, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray your kingdom would come in Ferguson and in so many other communities that are um, torn and broken by injustice and by tense race relations. God, I pray for your kingdom to come in Iraq where Christians are being persecuted and killed, where all kinds of other atrocities and injustice are happening. God, would you, would you intervene there? Would you protect your people and would you allow them to keep speaking with boldness? God, I pray for the situation in Israel, which as long as I've lived has been tense, and I pray uh, God, just with the hope that someday the King of Kings will come and make it right. God, in the meantime, would you allow both sides of that conflict, leaders in Hamas and leaders in Israel, to do what's just and to do what's right. 
God, we don't even know what those things are, but you do. So I pray you would lead those directions. And God, in our own daily lives, would you allow us to be humble, to be teachable, and yet to be bold about what's true. God, help us to love our neighbors, whether they're across the street or across the ocean. Help us to love them as ourselves, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to dive into this particular verse of Scripture. And uh, as, as we've been doing over these last few weeks, we've decided to kind of slow down as we look through Romans chapter 12. And the, the context of all of this is love. We're doing kind of a mini-series related to love. And uh, we, we got that idea really from chapter 12, verse 9, uh, where the Apostle Paul said, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And that phrase really w- literally means genuine love. It's kind of a banner uh, heading over the rest of what follows. And so the rest of what follows is all these little descriptions of what it looks like to have genuine love, to have unhypocritical love. And so we're going to look at a few of those things today. But, but I want to ask you kind of on the front end, there, there are people who are more doers and there are people who are more feelers, right? The doers are the people that like aren't thinking a lot about their emotion and how they feel and what they just want to do it. They want to solve some problems. They want to, right? These are, uh, if your husband is like this and guys, if you're like this, you know, the, the frustration in your marriage at times when, when you share, I just want you to listen and they want to solve it, right? That, that's, that's a doer. A feeler is someone that really takes on everybody's pain and they see the world through eyes of compassion and kindness and mercy. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's so overwhelming that they they either don't know what to do or they don't really even want to do anything. They just want to kind of cry about it or feel it or laugh about it or whatever it is. And I know that those extremes are not entirely fair, but I, but I want to ask you, you know, generally speaking, how many of you tend to be more doers than feelers? Show of hands. How many of you tend to be more doers? All right. Okay. How many of you tend to be more feelers? Okay, not feeling only, but you, that tends to be more your direction. Okay. How many of you will never an- raise your hand no matter what? Okay. Th- those of you, you are not doers, obviously. Um, anyway, so, so, so you know who you are. Here, here's the thing about this particular passage. This passage, verse 11, is going to challenge both the doers and the feelers. Both of you are going to be challenged to, to do the other thing in a way that you maybe don't initially feel comfortable with. So, uh, so that's where we're going to go. So three uh, parts of this verse. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That really forms the outline of, of where we'll head. So let's look at the first part. And uh, here's kind of the way I would describe this. Is that genuine love, number one, genuine love fights sluggishness. Genuine love fights sluggishness. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be slothful. This word slothful means slow, delayed, lazy, lagging behind. That's what the word means. Don't be lagging behind in zeal. Don't be delayed in zeal. Don't be slow. It's the idea of like there's a pack moving and and a few people are kind of following behind. They're straggling. They're sluggish. They're a little lazy. They kind of lack the energy. There's not much movement, right? I think about this every time I try to get my kids in the car. It's like, how can it take this long to put on your shoes and get in the car? This is not complicated, right? But there's, there's a sluggishness there. There's a slothfulness there. 
And so specifically here, Paul is saying, uh, don't lag behind in zeal. Don't be slothful in zeal. Well, what's zeal? Zeal is eagerness and diligence. Zeal is getting stuff done. It is movement. It is going. It is acting. Right? So this is, this is really resonating with the doers in the room, where you go, yes, let's get after it. Let's not lag behind in doing. Let's do some stuff. Let's get to work. Let's, let's get after it. He says, don't be slothful in zeal. Genuine love fights sluggishness. This means that genuine love doesn't just think about doing. Genuine love does, right? I was watching the movie The Fugitive the other day, and I know it's kind of an old movie. I think I have it on DVD, but the only time I watch it is when it's on TV. Uh, you have movies like that? I don't know. Why do we do that? I don't know. But anyway, so I was watching that, and there's this scene at, kind of towards the beginning after the big train crash has happened where Tommy Lee Jones' character, Gerard, is, is asking one of his uh, you know, underlings, uh, Newman, he says, what are you doing, Newman? And he goes, I'm thinking. He goes, well, think me up a chocolate donut with some sprinkles while you're thinking, you know, saying let's do some stuff. Right? And, and that's kind of the attitude here is genuine love does. Genuine love serves somebody. Genuine love gives. Genuine love has the hard conversation. Genuine love takes the initiative in the relationship. That's what genuine love is. It's not slothful in zeal. And listen, the, the context of all of this is love. And, and if we're going to love our neighbor, if we're going to love one another here in the church, if we're going to love our families, all of those people, your fellow Christians, your family, your neighbors, all of them need you to take action. They need you to not get lazy, to not get sluggish, to not get slothful. They need you to step in. And give where it needs to be given. And sacrifice time where it needs to be sacrificed. And have conversations that need to be had. They need you to do that. So we can't give up. We can't grow weary. And the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans 12 also wrote the letter to the Galatians. And one of the things he said there was this. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep going. Don't fall behind. Don't get sluggish. Don't get lazy. Keep going. We need you to do that. And if you do, he says, you will reap if you don't give up. And so some of you, listen, some of you, you are doers, and you are goers, and you are actors, and you're tired. And, and some of you, the, the, as active and as doing as you are, I get why you're tired. And here's my encouragement to you. By the Spirit, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't get slothful. Don't get sluggish. Keep going. You're going to need God's help. You're going to need God's Spirit. So trust on Him. Rely on Him. But don't quit. Don't give up. Genuine love fights sluggishness. Genuine love also, uh, secondly, boils with passion. That's what the next part of the verse really says. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. So I said genuine love boils with passion. Why that word? Well, boils is actually literally what this word fervent means. Be fervent in spirit. The word fervent means to be stirred up emotionally, to be enthusiastic, to well up to a boil. 
So that's the word picture. That's literally what this means. It means boiling up. Be boiling up in spirit. Boiling, hot, heat, movement, fire. So now he's talking not just about the doing, but about the feeling. Feel energetic. Feel enthusiastic. Be fervent in spirit. Now, commentators and translators even really kind of disagree about uh, spirit here. It says, be fervent in spirit. If you're reading from the ESV like I am, uh, you have a footnote there uh, that says, uh, the verse says, fervent in spirit. The footnote says, or fervent in the spirit. Right? So translators uh, are not exactly sure here whether Paul is saying that this emotion, this welling up in a boil, should be just in our spirit, like, in your, in your spirit, be excited, be enthusiastic. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, be enthusiastic in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God? Which is it? Well, the, the, the Greek word is the same either way. So it's, it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what he's saying. Uh, and either way, the point is really the same. Genuine love feels passionate. Now, I think he is saying, be fervent in the spirit. And the reason for that is really because the rest of the verse, he says, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And so to say, be fervent, be excited in the spirit, and be serving the Lord. I think that those two things uh, go together. This is therefore a passion for God. That's what this is about. This is not just aimless passion. This is not just enthusiasm because of your personality or for enthusiasm's sake. This is not just kind of stir up feelings and emotionalism. This is being passionate, being excited, boiling up for God. The Holy Spirit who's in you if you're a follower of Christ. See, that's the good news of, of, of Christianity. The good news of Christianity is that God had created a world where he walked with man and woman in the cool of the day. And there was closeness and there was conversation and they talked. And then... The man and the woman said, you know what, we'd kind of like to do it our way without God. They ate from the tree, and from that moment on, their closeness to God was cut off. They were separated from him because of their sin. And all of humanity has walked in that condition. And to remedy that condition, God decided, I'm going to move in. I'm not going to wait till they come back toward me, because that isn't going to happen. The gap's just going to keep widening. I'm going to move toward them. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, puts on flesh and dwells among us. He tabernacles among us. He lives with us. And he lives a perfectly obedient life. And he dies a death for us on the cross to, to, to bridge the gap between us and God. The punishment that our sins deserve, Jesus pays on the cross. And then Jesus rises from the dead, proving that what he said and did was true. Now, here's the part that's wild. What everyone expected at that moment was that Jesus then would take over the world as king and continue to reign forever on earth. And instead, Jesus leaves. He takes off. But before he goes, he teaches his disciples and he says, listen, I'm going to send another one, another helper. And it's better for you that I go and he comes. And who Jesus is talking about there is the Holy Spirit. And so when a person puts their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ, they are not only forgiven of their sin, not only is that gap closed, but they are then indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. 
God himself comes to live in us and among us. Therefore, that is not, does that sound like, eh, okay. Ho-hum. I mean, that's, that's big, right? That, that deserves some passion. That deserves some fervency. That deserves some, yes, God is alive. He's moving. And therefore, this is a passion for God and his spirit. This is a passion that should boil up. It should overflow into our lives. We should be filled with this kind of passion because we should be filled with this spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk. When you're drunk, you're overtaken by a foreign substance. And it influences you to do things you wouldn't normally do. Don't get drunk on wine. Get drunk on the Spirit. Have, have the Spirit overtake your mind. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be influenced to do things you would not normally do because you're filled with the Spirit. And then if we are, if we're filled with God's Spirit, not just indwelt, but filled up with Him, then it bears fruit in our lives. And it leads us to do the very kinds of things Paul's talking about in Romans 12. In Galatians 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the life that comes from a life filled by the Spirit. Does that sound ho-hum to you? No. That's exactly what Paul's calling us to, is let love be genuine. If you're going to love genuinely, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to be fervent, passionate in spirit. Now listen, what this means is that we don't just do good things for God and serve God with our actions and we're not just uh, zealous for action. We also need to feel some stuff. That's what this word's about. So this challenge, you know, before the, the feelers were challenged, hey, you got to get after it. But now the doers are challenged a little bit. you got to feel something here. you got to feel some excitement and energy. My best uh, example I've ever heard of this comes from uh, one of my favorite pastors to listen to. His name's John Piper, and he tells this story, and I just love this story. He says, imagine that I go to the store, and I get a, a dozen beautiful, fresh red roses to bring home to my wife. And I'm going to surprise her with this, and so I, uh, rather than pulling in the garage, I just pull in the driveway, and I go up to the front door, which I wouldn't normally do, but I'm surprising her. And so I come to the front door, and I ring the doorbell, ding dong, and she comes to the door, and she sees me there holding these fresh, beautiful red roses. She says, honey, what a surprise. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect this. Wow, why, why did you do this? Because it's my duty. Because good husbands do things like this. It's the right thing to do. How would she feel at that moment? She might close the door and say, you go ahead and keep those flowers, right? Right? Because what she wants to hear, you know, she wants it to be ding-dong. Honey, this is so surprising. What happened? Why did you do this? You know, there's no one more spectacular than you. And nothing makes me happier than to see you smile. And I thought that to give this to you might make you smile, and that would thrill me and fill my heart with delight. Would that be all right? Right? Now listen. God is not just looking 
for you to sort of do the right things. God wants you to do it with love and delight and passion for him. Excited for him. He doesn't want you to just show up and go through the motions. He wants you to feel it too. And so this verse challenges both of us. So let me ask you, do you delight in God? Like, like delight, emotional. He brings a smile to your face, right? There are times when I'll see someone and I'll be like, are you okay? And they're, because they just look so concerned or so upset. Or, are you okay? And they're like, yeah, I'm great. And it's like, well, tell your face. Like, I can't tell. You look miserable, you know? And I, and I wonder how many times people serve God and are like, I love God. Well, tell your face. Right? This is why, you know, and I know people have different personalities. People have, right, some people are like, their version of passion is jazz hands and spin around, right? Other people's version of passion is like, indeed, right? And I, I don't know which you are. I don't know where you are, right? There's different personalities, different places on the spectrum. But whatever is exciting to you, do you feel like that toward God? Because listen, people in your life know what you do feel that toward. There are things in your life, even if you think you're the most stoic and reserved person, the people closest to you could say, I know the areas where you don't fall behind in zeal. I know the areas where you're fervent. Do you feel that way toward the Lord? Now, maybe you would sit here and say, no, I don't. I feel pretty cold. It feels pretty dry. And, and worse, not only do I feel cold, but I've tried to sort of do stuff that would sort of light a fire back in me. I've tried to spend time reading the Bible, or people tell me, hey, you ought to pray, or you ought to have a devotional time, whatever that is. And so I'd sit down with the Bible, and i try to read it, and i try to pray, and nothing happens. I don't get it. And I'm discouraged. Here's what I want to tell you by way of encouragement, is it takes a long time for something to boil. I was making some pasta the other day. I don't make pasta very often. And I was shocked at how long it took the water to boil. I mean, we got a gas stove, and I mean, it gets pretty hot, and it cranks up, and it was, I don't know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes before the water really started to boil. It took a long time. It took a lot of heat over a long period of time. And so if you go, well, I tried it once, I did it once, I did it a couple times, hang in there. Keep going before God. Keep seeking Him. Keep reading His Word. Keep talking to Him, saying, God, I want to feel close to You. I want to boil over with passion for You. God, help me. Maybe nothing happens. Well, show up again tomorrow and show up again tomorrow. And at some point, God will light that wick. And you will boil with passion for Him. And hopefully, it is a passion that's for Him. And again, we all know some experience of passion. The question is, is it passion for him, or is it passion for us or for something else? And so that's why I think uh, Paul adds this, this last chunk here in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So here's the last thing, is that genuine love passionately works for Jesus. Genuine love works, we've talked about that, but for Jesus. It's serving the Lord. It's not just passion for, for passion's sake, it's passion for Jesus' sake. This word serve here means to conduct oneself in total service of another. It means literally to be a slave. It's the fundamental way that the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter saw himself. In fact, multiple times in his letters, he introduces himself not as Paul, 
an apostle of God. Or Paul, when I write scripture, it's God's words. Or Paul, I've done miracles. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, a slave to Jesus. So in all of our doing, in all of our feeling, is it focused on serving Jesus? Or is it really just for us? He gets to the heart of the motivation. Serve the Lord. I had a great experience this summer taking a number of people through uh, what we called Preaching Lab, where there were 25 or so folks, uh, men and women, who expressed some interest in learning to study and put together a sermon and deliver it. And so everyone had practice. You know, they had to give a practice sermon in front of everybody. It was really encouraging and really a fun process. And, and then each week we'd talk about different uh, elements of, of the heart of preaching and the mechanics and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I said repeatedly, because to me it's just so important, I think about it a lot, is I always, I always challenge them to ask, when you're putting together a sermon and when you're preaching, who are you preaching? Are you preaching Jesus or are you preaching you? Because you can talk about Jesus in a way that makes everyone else go, that person's awesome. Instead of saying, Jesus is awesome. And I tell you what, when you're on a stage and the lights are bright, it's a recipe for disaster. Because you want to be liked, and you want to be clever, and you want to be funny. And I know for me, it's a constant prayer. God, help me to preach Jesus. I want to do this not for me. I want to be passionate for me. I want to be passionate for you. So there's a motivation part of this that this test. Serve the Lord. But it also does imply here action. Serve him. Do it, right? Sometimes you might go, well, I don't know if I can get all my motivations right, and I might do it for the wrong reasons, and I might, you know, really goof it up. Okay, do it. Serve him. You're a slave of Jesus. Slaves of Jesus don't get to sit back on the couch with their feet up. They get to work. They get after it. And here's the thing. We want to help you get out of a bib and into an apron. Because you're never more like Jesus than when you serve people. I was reading a book this summer about uh, this research project that was done with 1,000 churches, 200,000 plus church members, and they found that the number one thing that churches can do to help people grow in their faith, no matter whether they're uh, just exploring Christianity or they've walked with Jesus for 30 years, do you know what the number one thing that churches can do to help people grow is? Get them to serve. Why? Because you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. Are you a bondservant of the Lord? You serve the Lord? Are you passionate in your doing for serving Him? That's what we're being commanded to here. Now the question to me is, where does that kind of passion come from? Where does that kind of zeal and energy and focus and devotion come from? Well, it comes from this. It comes from, our passion comes from Jesus' passion. Now, this is a little bit of a play on words, because you've got to realize the word passion is used differently today than it used to be. When we talk about passion today, we're talking about enthusiasm. We're talking about emotion. We're talking about kind of, yeah! And, and when, when the old word for passion was a word of suffering, Right, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. There's not a lot of moments in there where Jesus is like, yeah, right? That's not that kind of passion. It's the suffering passion. 
And, and, and it used to be talked about that what you were passionate for was what you were willing to suffer for. That's your passion. It's not just what you're excited about in the moment. It's what are you willing to suffer for. And the passion of Jesus says, I am willing to suffer for you. I will not lag behind. I will not slow down. I will not stop in my pursuit of you. And it will lead me all the way to the cross. And I love you so much that I will go there. I will drink the cup of God's wrath every last drop. And I'll do it for you. And if, if Jesus has done that for you, if you've experienced his passion, then that transforms you into someone who is passionate for him. Titus talks about that we've been purchased by God so that we might become zealous for good works. And your zeal and your passion, it's going to look like your personality looks. But when you've been touched like that by the passion of Jesus, it can't help but spill out somehow into your life where the people that are close to you and the people who know you well go, that person's passionate for Jesus. So if you're not there, if your faith feels cold, if you feel stuck, remember, it takes a long time for water to heat, for water to boil. But, but the only way you'll get there is if you remember the passion of Jesus. Maybe think about these verses. You can jot these down if you want. I love what Jesus said in John 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, the life that's abundant is a life of service. It's a life of love. It's a life of generosity and kindness. That is the abundant life. Jesus said he came to give it to you. How did he give it to us? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'll experience the terrible life so you can have the abundant life. I will die so you can live. And I will serve you so that you can serve and love others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the way you have sent your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for his passion. Thank you for his suffering. Thank you that he did not uh, back down or shrink back. Thank you that even when he was in the face of the seriousness of the wrath of God, that he said, not my will, but yours be done. God, would we have that same heart? Would we serve you, not out of duty, not just out of obligation, but out of passion, energized by what you've done? God, would it begin even now as we begin to sing? Would it come through our bodies and come through our voices that we love you? And would it propel us into a week where in every area of life we serve you? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.